This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Thanks so much for downloading this episode. My name is Tim Hamrich, and I get the privilege of sharing with you every week the founders, the farmers, the innovators, the investors, the people shaping the future of agriculture. We do a lot of ag tech episodes here on this show, but I don't think we've had one quite like this one here today. Today's episode is uh, primarily focused on agronomy tools, so things that you'd hear referred to as variable rate or maybe under the umbrella of precision agriculture. So when we use the term ag tech today, most of what we're referring to fits into that sort of realm. My guest is Corey Wilness. He's the president of CropPro Consulting, which is an agronomy consulting services firm in Western Canada based in Nakam, Saskatchewan. Started in 2003, the company has grown to 30 employees in that time. And along the way, Corey and his team started to develop digital tools to help them be more successful in their agronomy work. Eventually, they started a separate business to offer these tools to others. That business is called Croptimistic Technology. Corey and I talk about the rise of the tech-enabled independent agronomist, how he decided to develop those tools and ultimately market them as a separate business, and some of his frustrations with ag tech, which I think many of you will find both unconventional and enlightening. Corey represents to me someone who spent his entire career working directly with agronomists and farmers, who knows their pain points and their needs, and who has strong opinions rooted in firsthand experience. You'll hear some of those opinions and perspectives on this episode, and they may challenge your own when it comes to ag tech, especially as it relates to precision agronomy. Before we dive in, though, I think it's probably helpful if I define a couple of the specific technologies uh, that will be talked about in the interview for context. First of all, SWAT. So S-W-A-T stands for Soil, Water, and Topography. And a SWAT map combines multiple layers of field data into a single map for zone management and variable rate fertilizer and seed applications. Corey created a SWAT box, which is literally a box that is mounted to an ATV truck or piece of ag equipment and driven over a field to collect electrical conductivity and elevation data, which are necessary layers for SWAT maps. And lastly, Corey is one of the founding partners of Crop Records, which is a crop consulting system for crop scouting, record keeping, making recommendations and jobs, and synchronizing all of the information between agronomy staff and farm staff. It's an essential part of implementing the SWAT Maps system. So I'm going to drop you into the conversation here where Corey is describing what's changed in the work of an independent agronomist since going out on his own in 2003 and starting Crop Pro Consulting to today. Well, I guess everything is digital for us, for starters now. So when I started in 2003, there really was nothing for operating a consulting business and integrating with the farmer digitally and printing reports and just managing it. So it was back in that time frame that we started building our own software and since then it morphed into a product we call crop records which every one of our consultants uses every single farmer is connected to it so 
I would say we don't hardly PDF and email anything anymore. We don't text a whole lot. Everything's done digitally through that crop records platform. So that's been a real awesome tool. The other probably main thing I would say is that, you know, general fertility planning was composite soil sampling. And it wasn't until 2008 where we started offering our swap maps variable rate service that within a few years, every single customer had converted from composite sampling and constant rate over to swap map sampling and variable rate. And and that quickly has morphed us into a Crop consulting is only like 10% of our business now. 90% of our business is swap maps, fertility. And once we find that once we've had agronomists out sampling by swap maps and making recommendations by swap maps, that they just, they can't even do a composite sample anymore. We get lots of requests for composite sampling and the agronomists all unanimously say, we, we just can't do it. So I would say as a tool in the toolbox, that's probably when been one of the biggest things is just with our the way we map the process through the software from start to finish where all staff are integrated and this thing is happening like a fine-tuned machine right to the farmer applying his prescriptions and it's all digital Uh, i guess that's probably the biggest thing that's morphed and changed in the last decade and what are the limitations of of using satellite imagery because you know yours you actually mount a a box if you will on a on a pickup or on a tractor is my understanding and actually drive over the field what does that give you that that satellite or aerial imagery doesn't highly controversial topic but i view imagery and yield maps as a similar thing they're measuring sort of the crop response to what's going on in the soil so when people typically talk about imagery, they're talking about, you know, using remote sensing in the sense of hyperspectral imaging, looking at crops, right? So looking at different biomass, depth, depth of green color, looks and looking how crops grow in the field. And so an image, image will capture that from seeding all the way to harvest. And based on what could possibly happening at any point in time with an image in the spring, it might be related to, you know, they didn't see deep enough in some spots or too deep in others, or there was cutworms or flea beetles or too much straw in some areas or, you know, some frost damage or flooding damage or could be any of those hosts of factors. And then once you get into, you know, the peak of the growing season, you're, it's going to be influenced by weeds. It's going to be influenced by, you know, where the crop is drying out and how much fertilizer is applied in one area versus the other and is there underlying soil structure issues and you know then then you can still add in all the insects and diseases and stuff like that so by the time you get to the end of the year like these these a yield map is like accumulation of all the effects throughout the entire year from a hundred different things and so when you when you take a yield map and it's going to be different for different crops you can have in in our part of the world canola thrives in high moisture areas and does not thrive in the drier areas in contrast you have lentils that will be the best crop will be probably in the drier areas of the field and in the wetter areas of the field they'll be dead and diseased so 
Yield maps and imagery are only relative to the point in time and the crop and the conditions of the year and the pests and the diseases and the insects and the, like you can go on and on and on. So they're affected by a hundred different things. I always tell people the field never changes, right? The field is always the same. So when we go out to soil test, there's no crop on the field. What we're sticking the probe into is soil. And so where's the map of soil? Like a satellite image or yield map does not give you a map of soil. It just gives you a map of variability and you don't know what that's due to. So you take any soil science class, they're going to show you a cross section of soil, right? There's areas of the field with thinner topsoil and less organic matter and coarser textures and they're dry. And in contrast, there'll be areas that collect water and over historical wind and water erosion have accumulated topsoil and higher organic matter, probably higher residual nutrients contents for some of those reasons. You know, when you're out there soil testing, you need to know what the soil properties of the field are. That's going to be related to topography. That's going to be related to water flow paths and how water moves around the field. So once you have maps and so back to your original question of you know why we use this electrical conductivity boxes and collect high resolution elevation maps and those types of things is that we're we're trying to get a map of what's going on under the ground so surface water where, where is it moving where is it sitting what's shedding what's collecting what's the textures what's the topsoil depths is there soil structure issues you know, topography, hills, mid-slopes, depressions. The only way to get soil-related data, data is to physically have some sensor that maps what's going on in the top few feet of soil to try and get some. And none of the soil sensors are perfect. I would say they're all, you know, similar to an image that's taking a picture of a crop in the field. It it just takes a picture. It, if you're reading NDVI, it doesn't know if it's a weed or a crop. And soil sensing is much the same. Like you get a number and then you still have to ground truth it and define, well, what, you know, what soil properties are the numbers related to. So it's not an exact science where it just spits out everything. You still need a educated set of eyes on it. But that's essentially the difference is that one is trying to map soils, water and topography. Imagery and yield approaches are really mapping the response to 100 different things. Hope I answered your question there. Yeah, you did. No, that that was a really good answer. Actually, it it helps to kind of understand. I think when people see, Im, you know, images, they just think an image is an image, and they don't necessarily think about all that goes into it, especially the why that you mentioned. Which I'm glad glad you addressed that. And, and you said that you know now most of your business is actually doing this for people, right? This this SWOT mapping. Correct. Yeah, ninety percent of our business is now that. Yeah. And are you doing that for farmers or for other agronomists or kind of all of the above? Well, as I mentioned earlier, like we have a CropRo is our agronomy services company, and that's direct to farmers. And it's mainly in Saskatchewan. We have a few staff in Alberta and Manitoba, but we're trying to stay very close to home. We're not really trying to expand into too many geographies. And the main reason is because it's you still require this local knowledge, right? So... You still need people that are, they know the soils of the area. They know the climate of the area. They know the crops and agronomy of the area. So our our base company, CropRo, is trying to stay fairly local. But over the 
last 13 years, as we've developed this system, we've also commercialized it to other partners through the Croptimistic Technology Company. So there's currently, I think I saw the other day, 74 other agronomists, Canada, US, and a few other countries that are out there collecting data, building swap maps, and using the system to you know, do variable rate with their own customers. But we don't, you know, CropPro itself has no influence on the agronomic recommendations or how those people run their businesses. We're just helping people have that soil foundation map and adding it to their service. Did you consider, I mean, the technology, you could have grown it a different way, I guess, which is like, hey, this technology is our crop consulting company's competitive advantage. So I'm curious about if you considered that and, and what made you want to go the other route instead, instead of trying to grow the biggest agronomic consulting company in Canada, why decide to kind of split off and do a technology company separately? Well, I guess you could say, I mean, I, because I started my own independent consulting company, I, I think I understand how independent consultants think and they want to operate, own and operate their own business. They want their own brand and lots of them are, you know, I guess you could say we're a fairly large independent consulting company when you have 30 staff. Most of them are from one person operations to maybe five, that's very common. It's not that many independent consultants companies that are 10 or more staff. And these people wanna, I mean, they operate locally. And so first of all, it goes back to the, it's almost impossible to say you're gonna run an agronomy services company internationally. It's like next to impossible. It's so hard to hire these people that are on the ground. So. We felt it was in our best interest to just try and stay local with our agronomy services company. And as far as the ag tech solution that we built with swap maps, people just can bolt that onto their existing business. It's they can use their own brand. It's just swap maps is part of that service that they offer to their own customers. It has nothing to do with CropPro. So these people, CropPro has nothing to do with them. They're operating their own business and that keeps it completely separate where people don't say, well, you work with CropPro. Well, no, we don't work with CropPro. They're working with the swap maps and crop records technology company. And and that, you know, it works great, I think, for independent consultants. That's that's what they want. I don't think that they want to jump on some brand machine and, you know, CropPro is probably a love-hate company as it is. Yeah. And you definitely coming to the technology side have an you know in the advantage of you know decades of work actually being an agronomist and in, in interacting with farmers. But I I know that doesn't make it easy to to build technology that actually you know is effective and valuable and that people adopt. Um, talk to us about kind of what has been the most challenging part to to building these tools. I guess the ag tech industry in general is. Looks pretty glamorous, but it's a tough, tough business. I I always say it takes twice as long and costs twice as much to build a new tool and get something op- operating and, you know, and then you got a thousand different people using it and they all want a thousand different buttons and they will, you know, they all want certain things. So there'll be a list of to-do list of hundreds of different things and so... Yeah, on the ag tech side, it's it's extremely challenging and difficult. There's really not much money in it, even though it everybody thinks there is. Lots of pressure. 
yeah, it's impossible. Like there's basically nobody has what you'd call a whole product solution. Everyone's still trying to run with how many different apps and how many different systems and make it all work. And controllers have been around for 30 years and they all get something functioning. And then next year that function doesn't work and people are, it's all buggy and causing problems. And so it's site-specific agronomy is a tough business. <laughs> yeah. And I know, you know, you've been vocal about the need for different tools to be able to interact. And so, or at least, you know, have some sort of interface to where a farmer doesn't have to have, you know, a hundred different apps or an agronomist doesn't have to have a hundred different apps to get everything done. You know, from a high level, how is that possible or what are the barriers to making that happen? How many more hours do we have? <laughs> as much time as you need right now it's getting worse instead of better right so you can pick any number of different things and you could just let's just pick one and let's call let's say data collection and this is the only reason i'm picking this is because it's like this is what people think a lot of the ag tech is whereas i don't but data collection, it could be like your yield mapping, your as applied maps, and, you know, maybe you have weather station data and there's satellite imagery. And then you've got soil test data and you've got field observations and you've got all this data and it's on a hundred different platforms. So typically with our platform, like we sort of force people to use it and they say, well, it doesn't do this and it doesn't do that and it doesn't do this and it doesn't do that. Well, yeah, but like, at least if you use one platform, you you can physically get everything operational and you can make it work. There's a, you know, there's, yes, you can API to certain systems, but you can't API to a hundred different things. Like there's no way to physically make all these connections. And then even when you have APIs, you can go into a, any someone's software and they'll say they have 20 APIs, but the things that they're connected to are just very, very basic things. Right. So, we're API to John Deere, just like most people. It's probably one of the most common ones. But, you know, you can't get everything out of the John Deere API that's, that's, that can be collected. They can't, we can't push everything possible to them. And even if we could, a John Deere software system doesn't know what a SWAT map is. You could put the map in there, right? But it's just different colors. It's just a pretty picture. Well, what does a zone one mean or a zone 10? Well, like there's... There's just so many things that need to be connected and there's new companies popping up every day, diluting the sector to just down to, it's not just impossible, it's it's getting crazy. So there's just too many, like we don't need all this stuff. And especially when hardly any of them are making money. Like, so why do we need a hundred more that are not making money? Like there's not that much money to be made out in this ag tech sector. So we got to, get the focus narrowed down so that everybody can work in their space. We can get all the key pieces of technology connected up together because right now it's just a gong show. And when you say they've, they, they dilute things, is that because everybody's using, it's just another silo and the more silos there are, the, you know, the, the less sort of ability to bring into one platform can be? For starters, every single platform, for example, will do what? They'll say, okay, set up your farm. So you have growers, farms, fields, all the field names, land locations and acres and, you know, then all your crops and rotations, et cetera, et cetera. So 
Like if you want to build a specific specific piece of technology, let's say it's some kind of in-field camera technology, well, build a good product that's an in-camera technology, then build it so that you can connect to the 100 other platforms and they have the grower farm field infrastructure. But no, they'll connect, they'll build all that infrastructure too. And then you'll have 100 different platforms where people are all putting in their information, right? And so now all of a sudden now we have to get connected for all those things. So instead of the industry saying like swap maps is a, it's a bolt on product, right? Like that's what we specialize in building a certain map. So if I want to connect to someone else's system in Australia, like I don't want to release my app into Australia and then have one more product in the market that's trying to collect data in Australia. I'm better off to just bolt swap maps onto existing basic service provider platforms that are already collecting that data and established in the market and agronomists and ag retailers and people are using. But that's not what people do. They all tend to go into that market and try and, you know, I call them platform wars where, you know, everybody's trying to get the customer to use their platform as the entry source to get into the system. And it just doesn't work. It's just, you end up with a hundred platforms and once people are in a platform, they don't like to leave. Instead of 10 platforms and 90 bolt-on products. I don't know if I answered your question or not, but... Yeah, you did. I find this actually really fascinating. Are the service providers or the platforms that, that make sense to to be you know bolted onto, are they making it easy enough for new technologies to do that, to, to develop where it's like, hey, I'm not going to try to compete with you on a platform level. I just want to bolt onto you. No, it's not very easy. You know, like there's some... There would be lots of companies that would publish an API that would be easy to connect to, like John Deere is very easy, or say Pestel. But then a lot of the other companies, I mean, you're you're you know, you're vetted, you're you're screened, you're you know, there's sort of a business model conversation. There's there could be a cost association associated with it. There's limitations to what you can pull and push and what you can't, and you know, so. It's not just as simple as building a piece of software and getting connected. It's a lot of things going on in the background. There's a lot of extra costs. There's bureaucracy, you know, and then it's hard enough developing on Android and iOS. So you've got iPads and iPhones and then all your Android type devices. And then when they operate, change their operating systems, things break. So you're constantly maintaining all this infrastructure all the time connecting up to people and managing these relationships and business models and, you know, and most of it's like that. So, and, and nothing just against them. I mean, we do it too. I'm not just going to connect swap maps up to somebody that, you know, we don't have a mutually agreeable path forward in the business model. So no, it's very tricky. Yeah. It seems like one of the big sticking points here is, is data ownership because, if the company feels like the data is what gives them that competitive advantage, what sets them apart, then they're not going to be willing to share. But if there was a way, if there was a platform where the farmer truly owned their data and it was all in the farmer's hands, so to speak, but available to various companies to seamlessly sort of pass through I mean, would that start to solve this problem where there isn't a need for a platform at all? The platform is where the farmer owns all their own data and they're just using these third-party providers. Am I, I don't know if that, that may be skirting around the issue. 
Well, there's two sides to this data ownership, data transparency and what you're doing with it, portability and all these things, right? So and I'm, I, I feel like I'm trying to be fair to both sides. So yes, some people really want to control the data and other companies are, you know, making it easy as pie for people to take their data and leave. So I think that the, the common ground is, is somewhere in the middle in the sense of like, for example, I'll just use pick on myself and say, okay, for a swap map, if I, if someone builds a swap map and then he just leaves, then I have to build my business model around. He's not a recurring customer. There's no opportunity for subscription. There's no, you know, take it and leave. Whereas we have a lot of things that we're working on and things that we've built where that add a lot of value to a swap map. It's not just a map. There's lots of other things that, you know, need to go with that. So if somebody might say, well, I want to just take the map and go. If I make it, it's mine. And I'm like, well, yeah, it kind of is. But if you take it and you don't do a great job with it, you know, and say a swap map didn't work because you didn't follow the process of everything that we say you need to do. If you're doing variable rate seed and you don't do, go out and do plant stand counts in the season to see if, you know, you did the right thing and what happened and what the crop looks like. And, you know, if you don't follow up and finish the process, then it's not going to work. So it becomes a bit of a, it's not that simple to just say, well, it's my map. I'm going to take it and leave because it's my brand, right? And I spent years and years and years building this brand. And so I want a customer to get a certain experience and a certain level of agronomic, you know, management with that map. It's not just a map that you write a prescription and see in the harvest. I'll hopefully like that isn't how it's a process. You have to learn, you have to adapt and, you know, there's, it's not quite that simple. Now taking it from the other side, well, the farmers, they, if you can say, well, yeah, I want access to all my data, but, there's no money in this business, right? So somehow, how do I pay for crop records and swap map stuff? If I have 10 staff, right, do the math. Like you can just say there's a million dollar payroll there, right? These are professional people. So where's the money coming from to, yeah, you want a swap map. Do you really understand like what it takes to used to take us two and a half, three hours with one person sitting at a computer and running how many different pieces of software to build all the models and then put it all together and then spit out some stuff. And it still wasn't perfected. Now we can do it in five minutes with one piece of software, but that took us 12 years to develop. So they just see the map, but I'm like, well, somewhere along here, I got to recover my costs and make money. So, you know, Nobody wants to really pay anything, but the stuff is pretty complicated. And I imagine all the other companies would feel the same, right? It, what looks like such an easy thing for someone to just have an app and push a button and get imagery on it, like somebody probably spent millions of dollars making that work. Do you think that'll change as far as the amount of money that's available in, in ag tech? And why do you think people think it's such a lucrative business when on the ground it, it doesn't seem to be? Well, I don't know. I guess, I mean, it is true that agriculture is very, you know, it's one of the last sectors to be digitalized. But that doesn't mean like, I mean, I used to care, but I don't really care anymore. And the media is just like, it. this sector is going to be worth this many billion dollars. And this sector is going to be worth this many billion dollars. And 
it, it's a big industry. So yeah, it's going to be worth something, but people aren't paying, right? Like, I guess I just don't see, like there will be maybe little nuggets. Like I feel like a swap map is a nugget that it, it has good potential, but it's very difficult to scale, right? It's very hard to scale because what works in Western Canada, fairly easy transportable to same system to the Northern States where farming is similar, but you know, you get into other areas of the world, it's not that portable. You got to redefine everything. Farming is different. Equipment is all different. Agronomy is all different. Maybe there's irrigation. There's different kinds of crops, like languages, you know. So it's it's going to take billions of dollars to build the industry. And in the end, I think there will be some nuggets that where people do make good money. But there's too much overlap right now of everyone just starting with these platforms and there's in my opinion no money in platforms in general it's it's in something specific you've got to be doing something specific that the farmers getting value out of just taking your farm from paper records or spreadsheets to some digital program is there's no money in that the profits have gone to zero on that already in my opinion and you said earlier that uh, a lot of people think ag tech is, you know, tools that measure things, and, and that's not really your definition of it. Can you can you further define your definition of ag tech? Yeah, I think a lot of people focus on like data collection, you know, all this data. I don't really. I everything that we're focused on is focused on doing something specific. Okay, like so, for example, a SWAT map. It's a way of soil sampling and understanding soil water and topography layers and building a soil applied nutrient or soil applied amendment or soil applied seed prescription like it's a very specific thing that we're doing data collection in itself it doesn't have an endpoint like a lot of people will go out and they'll sign up they'll digitize their farm records and they'll get a weather station and then they'll get data collection but what have they done Yes, you're a little bit smarter for decision-making, but you didn't actually physically change anything that you did. Whereas with a swap map, they are changing something, right? They're not, they're applying fertilizer at different rates on every single eight feet across every field across their farm and managing each field, micromanaging each field from a fertility standpoint. So their whole, you know, thought changes around fertilizer and what exactly I'm doing. So it's no different than saying you're getting imagery and, okay, now I'm getting site-specific imagery all the time. Well, what are you changing on your farm? If you're not changing anything that you've done before, then, you know, you really haven't, you've adapted some ag tech tools, but you're not really doing anything. There's no ag tech that's changed how you operate your farm. And a lot of ag techs like that. It's just, it's the people selling traceability and digitization of your records and stuff, but it's... It's just more information. It it hasn't actually changed anything. We originally connected on this interview why I had you on the radar for a long time, but the the tweet that I reached out to you about had to do with you saying basically a lot of ag tech wants to say farmer adoption is the problem, but farmers will adopt something that that they see the value in. Can can you uh, maybe shed some more light on that or any, any recent example of that that you've seen? Because we started in agronomy services and I was out in fields and I watch people at harvest time. And in northern Saskatchewan, the problem is it's kind of, it's a wetter climate. It's a short season. People got to get their crop off and in the bin. 
and then you see low spots lodging. You see them greener, so that's tough grain. You see people waiting to spray pre-harvest or if they're seed growers, waiting on these depressions to come in and it's a crappy looking sample, right? And so in my mind, when we, when we started swap maps, we were able to go to people and say, look, we have a solution to this problem now, right? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna reduce our nitrogen rates in those areas. It's We have documentation that there's excess residual nitrogen. There's high mineralization rates and these areas are getting too much nitrogen and they're delaying our crop. So let's work at evening out the crop. You know, we spend a couple of years doing that and the neighbors see it and people talk and they're like, yes, it definitely sped up my harvest. I got my crop in the bin faster at a more consistent moisture and I don't have these quality issues in these other areas. And it's a small thing, but it's how we used ag tech to solve a certain problem. Whereas if you go to a farm show, you go to a trade show and there's all these booths and people are selling people digitization of a farmer. So a farmer just walks up and, and they're like, oh yeah, weather stations. And I can, you know, I have all these data collections in all my machines. I can see where they are and how many hours they've worked and my whole farm's digitized. And so they go and do that. And after a couple of years of doing this stuff, they realize that they didn't actually change anything. Their crop is still lodging in the low spots. It's still not evening out, right? They still have all the same problems that they had before because they didn't actually change anything. So I think when when a farmer, uh, farmers are smart people. They know their fields. They know what their problems are in any given season. They see them all the time because they're out there all the time. And if you show out to the up to the farm and say, I got a specific solution that's going to solve this problem on your farm. And they'll buy it. They'll try it, right? They'll they'll try it. And the first year said, yeah, I like, I watched this prescription go down. I, I understand this field and I think that this is the right thing. And so then next year they do it on the whole farm, right? And it becomes part of what they do. And this person may not have a weather station. They may not have done any data collection. And the only reason their whole farm is digital now is so that we can operate this process with them. So that's to me where it's like they bought a solution that provides value to them to solve some of their problems versus just going out and buying some ag tech thing that said it was going to do this and somebody sold it to them. And there's all kinds of those types of things out there. Thank you very much to Corey Wilness. You can find out more about Crop Pro Consulting and his various offerings over at www.croppro.ca. Also, he's a great follow on Twitter, at CropProCorey. As with any good interview, I'm left with further questions I'd like to explore on future episodes of this podcast. Questions such as, how do we create this environment where entrepreneurs aren't all vying to be the platform, but also aren't limited by just the very basic API to the existing platforms? And how do we continue to find the agronomists of the future? like those on Corey's team with deep experience and understanding of not just the agronomy and technology, but also that localized understanding as well. I'm curious about your feedback on some of Corey's points there. Let us know on Twitter and make sure you tag us both to continue the conversation there. Thanks as always for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. We'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. 
Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week. Thank you.